Good morning. Would you please stand? Today's text is Second Peter, chapter one, verses sixteen through twenty-one. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His Majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We find ourselves heard this very voice, voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Father, we've heard your words. We've heard... uh, Peter now, and as we listen to you, we pray by your spirit, you would teach us and lead us and shape us and mold us. And we give you our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, how many of you have heard the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. Most people. How many of you have told someone, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me? That phrase is usually used in reply to someone in the context of being verbally insulted or disrespected or denigrated or slandered or or abused by another person. It's commonly considered that when we say, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can never hurt me, what we mean is, while you might be able to hurt me physically, but you cannot hurt me with just words. Now, How many of you believe that? In one sense, the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but names can never hurt me, is a declaration of intent of us to allow verbal assaults not to harm us. But the truth is, most often, behind the facade of this inner strength we put forward, what we're really declaring is this. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but your words have cut me deeply. Because words are powerful. Words are powerful. Words are powerful and we see that God created the world simply by speaking words. When God said, let there be light, there was light. Every time God said, let there be, 
there was. And in being created in the image of God, our words also have power. Now, our words don't have the power of God to, to create life, but our words do have the power to build up and inspire and stimulate life. But quite often, that's not the case. Because of our rebellion against God and our rejection of God in the garden, we now use the power of words to slander and wound and break and destroy those who are threats to our personal kingdoms. That's an amen. God's word speaks about this in James 3 uh, when he writes, So the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, straining the, and staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but names will never hurt me. The Word of God is telling us that words do have the power to do damage, deep damage. Flesh wounds heal fast, much uh, easier and faster than heart wounds. And the target of words is not the flesh. The target of words is the heart. Is it true that sticks and stones may break our bones and names or words can never hurt us? No. No, it's not true at all. But still, there are many of us who still believe that. Many people do. And why would we believe that? Because our standard of truth is based on our own words, not God's words. We see this also in the garden in the beginning when God told Adam, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day you do eat of it, you will surely die. And not long after, God's word tells us, the devil approached Eve and asked her the question, did God really say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the tree of that is in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will surely not die, for God knows when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was be desired to make one wise. She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. And the eyes of both were opened, and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. We have been questioning God's truth from the very beginning. We see this also in John 18 where the Apostle John records a dialogue between Jesus and Pontius Pilate prior to Jesus' crucifixion. When Pilate asked him, So you are a king? And Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. 
to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth, he says, listens to my voice. Pilate then made a remark that is still the great question that humanity continues to ask. What is truth? What is truth? Every man, woman, and child that's ever lived or is living or will live has to deal with this question because human behavior is ultimately guided by what we believe to be true. Um, We tell our kids to eat their vegetables because we believe it's true, that it's good for them. We tell our children to stay away from certain people or certain places or things because we believe in doing so. The truth is they will be okay. We support particular politicians because we believe maybe it might be true, another politician might be better. We buy particular products over each other because we have reasons to believe there's a truth that one is better than the other. From, from the simple and to the complex and from the, the mundane to the trivial to the ordinary and to the life-changing, our decisions are ultimately grounded in what we believe is true. And our perception of truth is the foundation of everything we do. But the question for us is, but are our perceptions of truth correct and really true? What is truth is a question that's vital to our existence. Because if we believe incorrectly the wrong truth, we will lose our lives. The common illustration we usually do is about taking medication. We must make sure we're taking the the correct drug at the correct amount, or otherwise there will be serious injury or even death. But while that's true in the physical realm, in the spiritual, it is much more so. We must know in the spiritual realm true truth, or we will die forever. This is what the Apostle Peter has been addressing in the second letter that he's written here. Um, as he's writing this letter, this letter to people in, in the churches in Asia Minor who were going through the struggle and the pain of persecution. And in the first 15 verses we looked at in Second Peter, we saw that Peter told them that, that in the midst of all this, remind, remember that you are partakers of the divine power of God's grace. And that now you are a channel of God's divine power, which can help you overcome circumstances and know know truth as truth is. And having been born again, they now are on this spiritual path that would give them maturity, a path that demanded the truth of the word of God. And as they matured in Christ, they would become more fruitful, more visionary, more secure. And at times they would need to evaluate where they were spiritually. So he encouraged them to look at their spiritual calling and their election, and then to take a good look in the mirror of the gospel to see how they were doing in their walk with Jesus. Paul ended, we saw last week, by telling them that he soon would probably be gone. He knew he was going to be executed soon. And so Peter here contrasted the truth Uh, about Jesus Christ and the revealed word of God against the man-made myths that are prominent in in that day. And he's telling us even today that as we look at that glorious truth, the church should be focused on the very same thing, knowing the truth of God and living it out in a way that it changes the world. 
For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Peter begins by saying that he and the apostles did not follow cleverly devised myths when they taught the truth of God in the word of God and what Jesus said. The, the word myths here in the Greek literally means manufactured stories that have no basis of fact. The Greek and the Roman world at the time abounded in stories about gods. Mere human speculations that tried to explain the world and, and life. Myths were the foundations of both the Greek and Roman religious systems. And there were multitudes of stories about the actions and activities of various gods and goddesses and their religious beliefs. They tried to explain life itself. The sun was the chariot of Apollo who was going across the sty. Evil came about because Pandora opened a box and all wickedness and normality escaped into the world. Wars were won and lost depending on the favor of a particular god. Man had fire because Prothemius stole it from the gods. Crops succeeded and failed based on the whims of gods. You fall in love and have children due to the intervention of Eros and Aphrodite. The mythology of the Greeks and the Romans is no, is no longer believed, but in those days it was absolute truth for them. We have the same today. Truth seems to be much more subjective than objective. But true truth has to be objective and independent from our personal opinions and ideas. If not, then it's no longer the truth. For truth is that which exists beyond our preferences, beyond sometimes even our understandings. Truth must correspond to reality, not opinion. But the world doesn't see that today. It was interesting last year during the Supreme Court hearings for Judge Kavanaugh, in the midst of all that things, all sorts of truths were being spoken of. And we found it interesting that defenders of Christine Blasey Ford often made this case that it was subjective rather than objective because Cory Booker himself from New Jersey kept referring to her testimony as her truth. And if that would be so, then if her truth was true, then Judge Kavanaugh's truth should have been truth too. If there's no objective truth, but only the truth of each person, there's no truth to believe. That's, that's really a truth. We see that today, and we've seen it throughout history, and we've far, far seen it too much. It's interesting that the Nazis in Germany thought their truth was what mattered, but the truth of the Jews and others did not. Slave owners over time thought that their truth about the Africans trumped the truth. There were people who are equal and deserving of respect. Abortionists believe their truth that some human beings are not persons and they can dispose them at will. Those who euthanize human beings or who are created in the image of God believe their truth that they have the God-given right to decide life and death. When it comes to truth, we seem to just make, it, make things up as we go along. This is especially true for us in our times when it comes to what it means to be a person. Thus, someone born 
as a biological male can now make up his own truth when it comes to biology, DNA, reality, and to simply claim himself to be a female. Or a grown man can declare himself to be a toddler. Or a white woman can say she's a black man. The list is endless today of how people identify themselves with whatever, forgetting that they have to go on quite a long journey to make reality come back to them. Truth no longer means what reality means. And we're getting close, very close to the death of truth, brothers and sisters. No culture can last long when the truth is trampled underfoot and reality is transformed into fantasy and everyone can do what they think is right in their eyes. Sound familiar? As Chuck Colson once put it, he said, the most scandalous thing one can do today is to claim a truth. But even more scandalous is the fact that most folks don't realize the reality that when we do deny the truth, we become ripe for tyranny. Indeed, all tyrants have known this. Nazi propaganda minister Joseph Goebbels famously said this, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such a time as the state can shield people from the political, economic, or military consequences of life. It thus becomes vitally important for the state to use its, all of its powers to repress other truths. The truth of the mortal enemy is a lie, and thus an extension the greatest enemy of the state. Presently, our children are being taught what you think is what you are. That truth is certain in some extent in that we should know who we are. However, sometimes now it seems lately, even in the best cases, that's not true. And as we continue to go in the direction we are going, we're losing the reality of who we really are, which is why we need to look to a higher person, one who came for the purpose of bearing witness to the truth. Everyone who is truth listens to his voice, and he is the way, the truth, and the life. As Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were witnesses to his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from the God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by majestic glory, this is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. Peter here is proclaiming, not a myth, not a fairy tale, not an event shaped by his personal opinion, but rather the truth about the one who is the truth of God. Peter says that what the apostles have said is true about Jesus Christ. They can say that because they saw him and heard him and lived with him. They were simply proclaiming and sharing what they heard and saw. What Peter is talking about here is what we know as the transfiguration. And Matthew 17, verses 1 through 8, records that event. 
And after six days, we read, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elisha. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus. So Peter says, He and James and John were eyewitnesses to this account, this event. This is something that really happened. It really happened. It could even be verified in a court of law back in those days because they had two or three witnesses would make an establishment of truth. The Apostle John actually speaks of this also, but not in the gospel, but he does in his letters later on. In 1 John 1, um, 1 through 4, he writes this, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and have touched with our hands, now he's pretty much told you, what, <laughs> he's been, he was there, concerning the word of life, that life was made manifest and we have seen it and testify to it and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son Jesus Christ. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. John claims, just as Peter, to be an eyewitness of this life of Jesus Christ and this event. Now, both of those guys knew Jesus. They lived with him. They, died. they watched him die. They watched him rise from the dead. And these apostles are just simply passing truths on to us. And this is not true of most religions, and especially the mythical ones. There were no eyewitnesses to attest to the stories of the Greeks and the Romans. And even today, there are no eyewitnesses when it comes to Hinduism or Buddhism or Mormonism. None of these things. Maybe one person, but not a group at all. We know, we know from this, from Jesus, it's different. Peter, Paul, and John attest to the fact that there were many witnesses to Jesus' life, teaching, death, resurrection, and truth. These things were recorded in the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul remarks that the resurrected Jesus Christ was seen by Peter, and then by the apostles, and then to James, and then to over 500 people at the same time. In Acts 26, 26, Paul tells Governor Festus that King Agrippa knows about these events concerning Jesus because, he said, this has not been done in a corner. In a sense, it's not been done back here. It's been right out in the open in front of everyone. 
These things were common knowledge through Judea and the surrounding territories. These are facts concerning Jesus and his teachings, proved by many witnesses. To that then, Peter writes, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention to as a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from anyone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What is truth? Truth is that which conforms to actual reality, not just our perceptions. And our knowledge of truth is made sure here by the testimony of the apostles. Peter says the prophetic word that was spoken is certain, and it's even made more certain because there were eyewitnesses there. God himself proclaiming, they heard God himself, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And again, here's this, listen to him. This is truth. They had seen the fulfillment of God's promise. So, it would do us well to pay attention to what they wrote. Amen? Amen? <laughs> we should be attentive to scriptures, brothers and sisters, like a lamp shining in the dark place. David gives us kind of that picture too in Psalm 119, 105, when he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The area around a lamp is illuminated so we can see just in that area so we can focus on that so we don't get distracted. Paul uses analogy in a different way too in 2 Corinthians 4 when he said, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We need the light of the revelation of the truth of God's word if we are going to be children of light. Ephesians 5.8 tells us that one time you were in darkness, but now you are in the light of the Lord. Walk as children of light. And in Matthew 5, Jesus declares, you are the light of the world, he says to us. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You talk about this being a light, and then Jesus says in the end, in Revelation 22.16, he says, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but spoke from God as they were carried along through the Holy Spirit. The Bible is the most unique book in all of history. Other religions have sacred books, but none compare to the Word of God. While finite humanity cannot comprehend a finite God, excuse me, infinite God, the Bible gives us the vast, adequate revelation of what we need to know. 
It's not a collection of myths or stories. It's not an invention of mankind. It's the product of the Holy Spirit working in us. Second Timothy 3 says this, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which you are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man, that the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The glorious truth about the word of the God is two things. First, the glorious truth of the word of God is that Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise of God to send a Savior into the world to pay the penalty for our sins on a cross in our place. So when we surrender our hearts and lives to Jesus as Lord and Savior, we might be forgiven and redeemed and restored back to God so we might have a new life here on earth and an eternal life with God when we die. But the second also, the glorious truth of the Word of God, is that Jesus is the absolute truth of the Word of God. In a world full of wounding words, self-truths, individual opinions, and personal kingdoms, and myths, and false teachers. He is the prophetic word of God that is fully conformed so we might live out our lives shining like a lamp in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star of our crucified and resurrected Jesus Christ rises up in our hearts and shines with the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Winston Churchill once said, Men occasionally stumble over truth, but most of them pick themselves up and hurry off as if nothing has happened. Brothers and sisters, let that not be us. Know that when we live for truth, when we teach truth, when we put truth out in the world, we will face opposition. And we'll face opposition in the church and outside the church when we believe and live out the truth of God's word. To this, Pastor Adrian Rogers says, it is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. It is better to speak the truth that hurts and then heals than falsehood that comforts and then kills. It is not love and it is not friendship if we fail to declare the whole counsel of the truth of God. It is better to be hated for telling the truth than to be loved for telling a lie. It is impossible to find anyone in the Bible who was a power of God, who did not have enemies, and was not hated. God's word today is telling us that when we do such things, when we stand for truth and we go through trouble because we do, we're in good company. Hebrews 4 says this, The word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, 
piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. In the light of God's glorious truth, I pray we would be focused on living faithfully according to the truths of the word of God as witnesses of the light of life in a world that is darkened and becoming even more dark. Amen? Amen. Father, we look to you today to empower us and give us, Lord, a discernment as to what truth we are dealing with sometimes. There are so many truths around us and even a lot of us even make up our own truths at times. Lord, we do get influenced and we, we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit. We need, we need the Word of God, Lord, that memorized and read and studied. And we are people, Lord, that want to please you as Jesus pleased you. And so, Lord, we ask in the days ahead that we would be empowered and enlightened and given, Lord, that the will to do one do what we need to do, Lord, to make truth, real truth, and not our own truth. So we give you our hearts, and we bless your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen.